brilliant. I found half a can of Red Bull that has been here since Monday afternoon. Yeah, since since about the time that you started recording a big long recording. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know what happened there. Um, we were just about to record Podquisition, which we're doing right now, listeners. Don't worry. Yeah, we're doing that. Well, by the time you're listening to this, we we did already do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you thought we hadn't recorded this week, if you're listening right now saying, oh my God, I hope they saved the file, it's been saved. Yeah. You're listening right now. We did it. We exported it and everything. Right. We exported it. I ran a couple of filters on mine. Sure. Yeah. There's some background noise that comes in. I never know where from. You know, sent it over to Justin, done a couple edits, got it sent back, right? Conrad's only gone and fucking uploaded it. Well, there you go. Right? He's uploaded it. It's on SoundCloud. That'll populate on other services, right? Mm -hmm. I'll whack it on the Patreon, okay? And then that will be a podcast for you to listen to, okay? So, yeah, you you found a Red Bull. Oh, it's disgusting. (laughs) I imagine it would be after 46 hours. It's warm and flat. Like me. <laughs> uh, yeah. For anyone who missed that at the start, Steph did a 46 hour recording. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's a shame you deleted it because I think we could have really, you know, tacked that on as some bonus content, being like, oh, hey, subscribe to all the various Patreons, get the 46 hour long Punkquisition. Or at least the six hours of wanking and crying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, dear. You can, make, you can make a super cut probably out of a 46 hour something. Right? Yeah. I'm not warm and flat. I am hot and bosoms. <laughs> I was near a fountain yesterday that had statues of two girls without clothes <gasps> on and bums and tits. They didn't have nipples. But it was close enough. It was close enough that if I felt like going in the bushes and like rummaging myself while staring at it from a distance, I could have done it. You could have. Girls and bums and tits is, pre- is pretty good. I, I'm... I'm a I'm a fan. Oh, surprised to let you know. Shocking. I know, right? <laughs> I'll tell you what, right, 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 right. Sexually attractive girls in the nuddy. Oh, right. I'm attracted to that. When girls don't have clothes on and are attractive. Oh, right. It's quite a fan. Hot boys kissing as well, right? Oh, I'll have a look at that, right? And I'll think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I felt a little throb in the knob there. Yeah. Good. Carry on. Carry on, lads. <laughs> you have. Apparently, they have your permission to. Carry on. You've got the Stephanie Sterling seal of approval. Kiss away, my friends. Kiss, kiss away. Let me look. <laughs> you know, just, just a polite ask, you know. Just you a know, polite only, ask. Only if they say yes, you know. Just a little, just a little look-see. Sorry if I'm a bit echoey today, listeners. I've left the office door open because it's fucking warm in here. Also, there, sh- there probably shouldn't be coffee-flavoured jelly beans. Why? Should there not be? Oh, that's not good. I mean, I like a good ch- coffee jelly bean. I um, see, for sweets like jelly, yeah, I can't have savoury adjacent flavours. It's got to be fruit or something. I'll, I'll extend to bubblegum. You know what? I'll tell you the one jelly bean flavour that I don't think makes sense and that people want to think will be good but isn't good. Chocolate. Oh. Chocolate's not a good jelly bean flavour. It's not. It's too creamy? Yeah. It depends on the chocolate. But yeah, I, I generally agree that, that chocolate's maybe not the best. I mean, I would still eat and probably enjoy a chocolate jelly bean. I'd eat a chocolate jelly bean and go, mm, Because uh. I'll eat a Tootsie Roll, and Tootsie Rolls are objectively trash candy. Yeah, yeah, that is true. I still need to try a Tootsie Roll. I still you don't. don't. I, look, it's terrible, but like, I need to know. Oh, yeah, you want to know. <laughs> 
I, I grant you, you want to know. I will regret knowing. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. It's just like Conrad. It's just trash tier. It's all right. There's, there's not nothing wrong with trash tier sometimes. I'm yeah. just saying I had a medical procedure yesterday. Thought I'll get some sweets. I made the mistake of going for the 59 flavor jelly beans. Yeah. Mm. That's a fucking minefield. Anything with that many assorted flavours will have had to reach a little to, to get some of those flavours. But you surely shouldn't put the spicy ones in there. Oh, you're not a fan of the like the, the cinnamon is sometimes a bit spicy. Uh, I know you're you're a, you're very fond of cinnamon, Laura. I'm the opposite. See, here's the thing. I'm very fond of cinnamon, not of cinnamon as a jelly bean flavor. Mm. Cinnamon flavoring tends to be a little different from cinnamon. Yeah. Cinnamon, like, itself, when flavored with actual cinnamon, is, like, kind of earthy, a little bit, almost a little bit sweet. Cinnamon flavoring is always just assumed to be kind of spicy, like, low-leveled spicy, and I don't understand how they get there. Cinnamon triggers a traumatic response in me from my nut allergy from going into anaphylactic shock and stuff. When If I have too much cinnamon, it feels like, or I smell too much of it, it feels like my throat's closing up. It's the same uh, I get uh, same reaction I get if I smell the outside of a body shop. Oh. Do you know how much the body shop fucking smells of things? Yeah. Yeah, the wrong cocktail of smells wafting out of a body shop, and I'll be like, throat's closing, I'm going to die. So that's a fact about me. It's a very strong cloying flavor that I really do feel like needs to be used in moderation. Oh, yeah. Like, I've got some bagels at the moment, cinnamon raisin. I don't mind that. My ex-wife would just dump tablespoon of sugar of cinnamon onto things and i'm staring at it like how can you taste anything else in there that that smoothie that you're making has to just taste of cinnamon cinnamon can be kind of overwhelming if if done wrong it's strong i really enjoy a good like just 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 some mixed wintery spices a little bit of cinnamon a little bit of some other wintery spices in some apple, you heat it mm-hmm, up nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, lovely. Yeah, yeah. Take an apple, core it, get some uh, cinnamon and some brown sugar uh, together, stick that, and some butter, stick that into the middle of the peeled, cored apple, and then make like a rough pastry dough real quick. Yeah, it takes like five minutes. Yeah. Uh, wrap that around it and just stick it in your oven for like half an hour and it's heaven that sounds real good it's real good you could also make like a nice little glaze with some extra sugar to put over top that little little extra cinnamon that's also a plus but uh just a baked apple in some rough pastry with cinnamon and sugar is perfect so yesterday was International Fuck Like Gary Boosie Day. Right, I heard that. Yeah, um, I don't know if you observed the holiday. I was going to say, did you Did you all observe the holiday? Oh yeah, I came in someone's belly button. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the only real way to, to celebrate the day properly. But it's, you know, you've got to fuck like the big dog. I tend to celebrate that most days. Now, granted, it's my belly button. <laughs> but I've got the aim down. Perfect. Legendarily, you wank like a bat. (laughs) (laughs) Phoenix showed me a bat doing a poo the other day. Oh. Do you know how they do that? I do not. Are they still upside down? They're not, no. Because then they'd get the poo on themselves. Well, I know, that's reassuring, but like I couldn't picture it any other way. (laughs) Yeah, what they do is they're hanging by their feet, and then 
they'll grab whatever they're hanging on with their little wing hands. Oh. And then and then swing down and then thrash their little legs like they're in a tremendous amount of agony. And then a little drop of guano pops out and then they rehang themselves. I don't know why when they swing down to do a shit, any of them haven't thought, oh, this is actually way better. Shit isn't upside down. Yeah. They get right back up. I guess they must like it. I mean, I, I feel like at this point, I have to tell you the only other interesting, like, how an animal does a shit fact that I know, which is sloths. You're aware of, of sloths and their whole deal? Is it ironically fast? Does it shoot out like a rocket? Oh no, no. Oh no. Very on brand. It is the most dangerous time in the life of a sloth, because it's like, they climb down from the tree like once a week and are just like for a whole fucking day, like I've made my hole, this is it, please nothing eat me while I'm taking the big shit. Oh my god. Wow. Yeah, and then back up the tree they go. My grandpa was like that. (laughs) Just once a week he'd disappear into the bathroom for the entirety of the day. Aww. Huh. Well, he at least had walls and a lock. Yeah. I got. I'll. I'll. Before we get to the ghastly business of video games, oh. which is which is much more tasteless than this conversation. Much more oh, tasteless. Uh, I won't tell you about an animal shit, but I will tell you about a shit animal that has just fascinated me lately. The kakapo. It's the owl parrot. Oh. It's the world's only flightless parrot. There's about a. Uh, 201 of them, and there's a very good reason for that. They are so shit at being alive. <laughs> they are so shit. They're, they're in there with, like, dodos and stuff where it's like, oh, I get how you got extinct. You weren't very... You, you just didn't really know how to how to not. They've been put on their own island because their response to predators has been to either stand really still or walk towards them in a friendly manner. So they're on their own island, but they're still really shit because, like, the way they mate is the male parrot will make loud booming noises. Like, it'll have a little hole and it'll make loud booming noises. The problem with that is the environment is very echoey. So the female spends the mating period wandering around, wondering where the fuck he is. That's just like part of it. I won't go through everything because the the complex ways in which they're shit is it would take too much to explain. But another thing is the females are only really basically females are better at having sex than the males. I mean, yeah, that that sounds true by my lived experiences. Yes. <laughs> so I, I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering now how. Like, okay, so we have these sort of evolutionary mysteries, like the platypus and things like that, right? Yeah. How does this thing still exist? Like, and 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 how did it get to this point? I think what, what happened is they've never had many natural predators until things were introduced. Right. So they've been allowed, like a middle manager at a family-run business, not that I'm speaking from experience, at a family-run flower shop that was pretending to be an international company, right? Right. They've just managed to fail because there's no one trying to take them out. So did, did humans, like, displace predators to put them in their environment and that's why they're endangered now? No, predators were introduced by, like, travel and stuff, you know. Uh-huh. And then... People like people were like, "Wow, these birds are fucking shit." They they're not ready for this. They're not ready for any other life forms, and they're they're all on their own island. 
and they're still failing. It's like, hey, we didn't think it'd be a problem if we accidentally like dropped off, you know, something harmless like a frog or a rabbit or so. Oh god, these things are bad at living. Fuck. Um, well, you know, this really does like sort of lend some credence to the idea that some things are just meant to die. Well, no matter what we try to do. So the females better at fucking. That's been my experience. Yeah. Yeah. They seem to know what they're doing, whereas the males are just wandering around making noise and hoping their dick falls in something. Again, this is this is my experience. That is it's true. <laughs> it's true. The problem with that scenario is the females are only really good at, or really want to mate when there is a certain like type of fruit that they like the best that that is available at a certain time of year. The fruit seems to make them give birth to more males. Oh no. oh, no. So they're only in the mood to mate when they're producing the worst bit of the mating process. They're fucking shit. I love them. They're adorable. They look like weird little... They look like a cross between an owl and a grape. <laughs> they are rubbish. <laughs> I identify with them so much. <laughs> oh, welcome to Podquisition. We, when we're forced to, we talk about video games. We are. We, I tell you what, right? Right. I joke. I make my little goofs. But I tell you what, right? Yeah. I don't mind talking about video games. No. I don't mind talking about them. I actively kind of enjoy it sometimes on occasion. It can be a giggle. Yeah. The right people there for company. It can be, you know, hey, video yeah. games. I've, I've done them. Bit of cinnamon on an apple. Yeah. Yeah. Who's played a video game this week? Tell me about a video game. How many's Conrad played? I played one. I want to make sure we... Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll throw one out there then. Oh, no, Laura, you throw one out there. I mean, I've only played one this week, and oh, it's I'll one throw that... one out there, then. Yeah, throw one out. <laughs> um, okay, let's go with Ender Lilies. Ooh. I've heard a lot about Ender Lilies this year. A lot of people said it was good, and I'm trying to... Lord knows, I can't think of enough games to go on the Jimquisition Awards this year. Even a lot of the critically acclaimed smaller games, they've not really jumped out at me very much. Um, I heard a ton about Ender Lilies. Thought I'd give that a go. It's good. Yeah. It's very, like, visually, it's very beautiful. It's got, like, um, you know, looks looks very hand-drawn, um, 2D. It's, it's a Castlevania type of thing. Um, it's got all the trappings with the same kind of map and the side-scrolling and the going back to places when you unlock abilities. Gorgeous soundtrack. Decent combat, but, God, I, I'm all right with it in some games, but I've got a low-key bugbear when it comes to games with contact damage, where I'm like, I really don't like touching an enemy and getting hurt, especially if they've got attacks. I'm like, the attacks are what should hurt. And I get it, it's kind of a Castlevania thing, so I understand on some level why they've done it, and, and I haven't really complained about it in Castlevania because I'm used to it there. But this game especially, because it emphasizes dodging, uh, specifically dodging through enemies, it could be really fucking annoying. Yeah. A lot of time I'm t I feel like I'm taking damage because something touched me. And that can be annoying when there are like airborne enemies and you're jumping up to hit them and then they'll just fly through you. I am finding it quite an irritating game. Um, fun at times. The bosses are very good. They're challenging, uh, not too tough. Their patterns are um, recognisable enough to where if you 
die in those, it is almost always down to you. Everything feels defeatable, even when it's tough. But it has got some, it's got some issues. It's, I do find combat with the regular enemies, it can be really annoying at times. And right now I'm wondering, not sure where to go. It does have that issue of, God, I wish they would mark the map better so that I knew various points, like what Metroid Dread did, where it marked points that were now uh, accessible now that you've got new items and stuff. Yeah, so you don't just have to wander over the entire game trying to stumble upon the thing that's open now. Yeah, once I can swim, like, just let me know where the water is. Yeah. And right now I've, I've beat... A bunch of bosses, and now I'm just like, where the fuck do I go? Because everywhere looks like a dead end, and there's so many dead ends that it gets frustrating. You've got to strike a balance between showing me areas that are inaccessible until later and not just putting dead ends everywhere. So I roll my eyes and think, right, well, that was a waste of time. Other than that, like it is good. I really want to like it more. I was hoping from everything I'd heard and seen that this could be a, a Game of the Year contender. For me, it's not. Um, I know it's on quite a few other shortlists out there uh, from the way people have talked about it. But yeah, um, I do like the way combat manifests in that you are this little girl. And when you hit the attack button, um, a knight, like there's this ghostly knight that's with you. And he appears and swings his sword. And that's the attacks. Mm. And similarly to like um, the... I forget when they introduced it to the Castlevania games, like the GBA ones, where if you kill enough enemies, you get a chance to like get an ability themed around that enemy. They have something similar to that, where throughout the map, there are stronger versions of each of the regular enemy types, sort of mini bosses. And if you beat them, then you can attach their spirits and equip them the same way the sword guy is. So there's like this crow that shoots things. And when you kill that, you can summon it. So it follows you around and shoots. Or there's like the first boss has a ball and chain that she swings. And then when you beat her, you can equip her if you want and then summon her and she'll stand there and throw the ball and chain a bit so that's pretty cool um it's got a lot of cool ideas um it's got a wonderful presentation interesting little story although it's similar to kenna bridge of spirits and a whole bunch of other games where the enemy is mostly like it's just the blight mm. i'm sick of the blight and the rot the corruption the corruption the darkness yeah like i want villains I, I miss villains in games. Villains who have personalities and are not just an evil force that moves and is evil. It's one thing I love about Death's Door, which I have been playing more of, is the villains in that are really entertaining. Hey, we should talk about Death's Door because I just remembered I played that too. <gasps> yeah, we could. We, I mean, I've just said everything I guess I need to say about Ender Lilies if we want to just, just sure. mosey on down to Death's Door. What do you think of it, Conrad? Uh, it's... It's good. I really like it. I love the stage design. Yes. With that constant looping back and opening up of, of new passageways. And it helps. One of the things that is so valuable about that form of level design is that it's not merely helpful in terms of shortening your backtrack time or giving you ease of access to those areas. But those sort of looping connections sort of reinforce your geographical awareness of the space. Oh, God, yeah. In a really helpful way. 
it's something that I I I notice, especially with like open world games, that the really good ones do a great job of keeping you well confined in major spaces early on so that you can get a sense of local geography and then slowly branch out. Um, Assassin's Creed is pretty terrible at this. Grand Theft Auto is very good at this. Dark Souls. And moving on. Uh, <laughs> like, I mean, Dark Souls does it well, but it doesn't. It does it with mixed results. Yes. There's some areas where it feels really good and somewhere not so much. And this does it just excellently because they are frequent enough that I see something. I'm like, all right, I know that I'm going to be able to open up that door in a few minutes once I work out how to get around yeah. to the other side. It feels like someone like I don't know if it's true, but it feels like the developer really enjoyed it. Like it's I, I get this sense of joy in the level design where they just had fun creating these quasi-intricate, because they're not super complex, but just these simple but just intricate enough to where it's really satisfying to unlock the, the shortcuts. Yeah. Yeah. And again, as I, I think I said last week, I think that the, the isometric view helps for that. And like the distance the camera is zoomed at, it gives you enough perspective of what's around you that you're not constantly just thinking about exactly where you are now. Yeah. And you, there are controls to move the camera just a bit to get even more surroundings, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, a very well-made... I like the combat fine enough. Like, the enemy variety is decent. The I, I only have two weapons at this point. I've got the sword and I've got the little blades because I did the work around that other area to get those. Yeah. And they're fine, but I think the sword is... <laughs> Normally, I go for those reduced damage but faster attack things, but I, I don't know that I find it particularly preferable here. No. I've got, like, four weapons, and the sword's better than all of them, in my opinion. I finally played enough of it to have a couple of weapons that I'm like, yeah, I, I think this is up there with the sword. I, the balance of that... The sword is too good compared to the other early weapons, and it yeah. really doesn't encourage swapping around early. And it's got villains. It does have villains. The Frog King is amazing. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. I think I've just started dealing with the Frog King. Uh, yeah, I'm in that area now. Yeah. Um, I loved the is it, was the witch. Is that the witch? That, yeah. yeah. The, Delightful. The, the grandma. Yes, grandma the urn witch. Loved her. Yeah. Mm. So much fun. So, All the little yeah. side characters are good as well, like Pothead and the Bard and stuff. Mm -hmm. Such great characterization that's like really memorable and does a lot with a little. Yep. It does it strikes a nice balance between like bleak and funny, because it's a game about death and it's got these sort of really atmospheric, eerie uh environments. But there's quite a few, um, quite a few funny lines, and the the yeah, yeah the bosses are uh, they've got really fun personalities, and it's got some really good jokes. Uh, have you found the chef? Yes, I don't think I found the chef yet. I love the concept of the chef. Yeah, there's this little area off to the side that you can get to, and it's there's a little chef that will cook you food and then sort of tell you where secrets in the map might be, and. Yeah, I won't spoil it, but it, it's such a delight. Uh, Fun character. I'm really glad that I have stuck with that game. I fear, I don't know what it was about it. I feared that I was going to drop off it, and 
Nah, I've stuck with it and I'm having a great time. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there are other things occupying your time now. Well, I mean, you know, for me, obviously, there's at least one other video game that's taken a little of my time. Just a little. little. Just a smidge. Just a smidge. Just a scoosh. Just a, just a scoosh. Just a little. Yeah. I've been playing that Pokemon. Oh. That Pokemon. That, yeah. Oh. So I finally, like, actually had time to put some time into those Pokemon remakes. I'll reiterate what I said before in that... They're not well-made re- remakes. No. Like, on, on an objective level, there are some really glaring issues. That game still has a complete absolute lack of fire-type Pokemon for some reason. That yeah. they fix. They fix it in Platinum, but in the they've kept the base games, like, you've got the fire-type starter and you've got Ponyta and that's it. Yeah. It keeps some of the, like, a lot of the issues here are issues that were present in Diamond and Pearl and got fixed in Platinum, and they've remade Diamond and Pearl and not done any Platinum's fixes. There's like a three or four hour stint where all you will find in the wild if you're trying to push through the plot is Geodude and Ponyta, and that's just like all that fucking spawns. It's not helped by the fact that Geodude is constant throughout the game up to that point as well. Yeah. I am so sick of Geodude. But like, I don't mind if it turns up all the fucking time if it's in caves, because I'm like, okay, that's... That's the where it lives. It lives in caves. Yeah. I got if I'm going in a cave, I'm gonna have to deal with Geodude. Seeing them just out in grassy fields all over the place. They're everywhere. Yeah, and I'm like, there's so many other good Pokemon that are like there is good variation in other areas. Take some of that, put it in those bits. Which yeah. they do in platinum, they fix it, they just don't hear. That's one example of where these remakes just feel quite a bit slapdash. Like yeah, like his, they're competent in as much as, yep, this is what Diamond and Pearl were like. Yeah. This is remakes of them. And, like, I've not been engaging too much with the discourse about whether they're good or not, because I know they're kind of bad. But they're my little bit of comfort gaming, and I really don't care that they're trash. I'm having a lot of fun just playing them. If you're having fun, you're having fun. Yeah, I'm having a good time. Um, so what I've been doing with Pokemon, I've been I've been shiny hunting because of course I have because that's all I fucking do in these games. I uh, spent many hours resetting the game trying to get the legendary on the box art in shiny. I've been watching you do those on stream at Twitch TV slash Laura uh, K Burns. I should do that. Fun story. I have a friend who booted up their copy of Pearl, got to the legendary. Didn't really know what the, the, the legendary, what its shiny form looked like. It's it's oh. pink instead of purple. Well, like, okay, yeah, I'll reset it because they were going to try and reset for a shiny. And then they saw the second one come up and go, wait, it's a different color to the first one. They, 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 pure luck, one in 4096, got a shiny on the very first attempt, didn't notice and reset it. <gasps> Yeah. Oh, no. So that's a whole thing that happened that I'm like, oh, my condolences. Oh, that's a tragedy. Yeah, that is that is quite a thing that occurred. I've accidentally become a mildly viral part of the discourse about the quality of these games. Yeah, how have you become a mildly viral part of the discourse? Is it because of Ekans? It is. It is. <laughs> um, you very kindly, because I found out that Ekans isn't available in Brilliant Diamonds until you fucking beat it and they, and get all the Pokemon. Uh, Shining Pearl, but yes. And get the, <laughs> the national decks and all of that yeah. shit, right? So I, was, I found that out in your stream and I got furious. And then you very kindly... 
kindly got me some Ekansies. Yeah, I, I sprinted through the get through my copy of Pearl to Aww. get to the post game so that I could get Ekansies. I caught a couple of shiny Ekans and then also I, I made some little baby Ekansies. It was very sweet, and I thank you so much. Uh, so I've got all these lovely babies and two lovely shinies, and and. Because, you know, it's it's from, like, Let's Go and, and stuff like that where you can have a Pokemon follow you. Yeah. Uh, you can have it out the Pokeball. So, obviously, with Ekans being my favorite Pokemon, I got it out the Pokeball so it follows me around that. Yeah. Now, the video I um, posted of my Ekans following me is at about 13,000 likes. Because the Ekans is completely still it doesn't animate <laughs> and it's coiled i have i've read the word roomba so many fucking times in the past 12 hours how have i not seen this tweet i need to go find it now i'm gonna go see it i think it's my latest one because i've retweeted it oh. it's so fucking funny and obviously a lot of people are pointing at this to show how sort of slapdash the remakes are especially because ekans had a moving animation in let's go Aha. they've already got it slithering this is very unusual i've not seen this this is one of the this is one of the little baby ones out the egg, isn't it? Yeah. Ha! Huh. It just slides all still. It's amazing. It yeah. In the Let's Go, it had an animation for walking behind yeah. you. That's so weird. Yeah, I've you know I've restarted the game. It still does it. Like some people are like, is it a glitch? But it could. It can't be a glitch because it. It was never coiled in Let's Go when it was following you, so it's not like it's stuck. I'm, I'm going to boot my copy up now, and I'm going to go see, but I'm sure that's a thing. Let's see if it slithers. Yeah, ha! Huh. I mean, either way, glitch or not, it's fucking hilarious. Um, but I do kind of hope it isn't a glitch, because that because it's fucking hilarious. I'm, I mean, I get the impression it probably isn't a glitch, because that's yeah. the fucking way these games are made. That being said, like, I've got, you know, all of these all of these issues exist. I've been having a great time. I'm glad you've been having fun. I mean, that's the that's the name of the the game. Exactly. It's been my like. I know it's bad. You don't have to tell me. I'm having fun. It's all good. I did discover which was nice. Um, when you first find the legendary, you're in the middle of some plot stuff, and it's like fight the legendary now. And I spent several days trying to get this shiny, being like, I kind of want to get on with the game, but also I don't want to miss my chance to get the shiny. If you knock it out rather than catch it, go beat the league, come back, it'll be back there and you can, you know, as long as you don't catch it, you can come back and do your shiny hunt later, which is nice. Also, I like the way they do shiny hunting in in this one. It's it's a revision of the way they used to do it in Diamond and Pearl, and it's one of the few ways I think this is better than the originals. Kind of similar to Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee, where you had to get a chain of the same Pokemon over and over and over to get your shiny odds up. Little bit different. You get an item in the post game that makes some patches of grass rustle. You interact with a Pokemon, catch it, uh, then some more grass shows up. You want to try and get to a patch of grass that's four squares away from you. That'll give you the best chance of this chain continuing. Catch that one, four squares away, catch the next one. Keep doing that. If you can get to a chain of 40 without it fucking up, your chances of getting a shiny are like one in a hundred, and catching a shiny doesn't stop that chain 
So you can quite effectively get, like, if you can get to that chain of 40, you can get, like, multiple of the same shiny in a row, which is really nice for someone like me that likes to have each evolutionary stage in shiny, not just you the do. one. And I don't like doing, I can't do it. I said on your stream the other day, I can't, I can't do the resetting and the, I managed to catch some shinies of ones I liked in Let's Go. Yeah. Just because it is an easier process. Um, but like trying to get like a shiny legendary by yeah having to close down the game and come back, my brain won't let me do it. But I enjoy watching you do it on stream. I like it as a background thing that someone's doing. It's certainly not for everyone shiny hunting, but like yeah, it's it's honestly not that far off. Let's go Pikachu and Eevee's method. Like I miss shinies being visible in the overworld yes. that was a really nice thing in let's go pikachu and eevee because there's overworld visible pokemon in the underground in these remakes but they're not shiny when you see them in the overworld like sword and shield but yeah well the few one of the few areas where i've been liking these remakes is that the radar shiny hunting chains pretty pretty fun i'm having a good time with them cool all about you both. Have either of you played anything else uh you played something else didn't you conrad uh i did i played um Gunfire Reborn. Ah, I saw you play that the other day. It looked sufficient. Yes. This is the one Casey was trying to sell me where I could be, I think, a rabbit with a gun. I think is how Casey sold me on it. Yeah, that's the first unlockable character, or the first character. Uh, Casey tried to sell me on it by saying there's a, an enemy called Arrogant Lobster. So she knows what we like. Yeah, Casey's, Casey's got us all down. Casey just sent me a copy of the game knowing that that was probably the easiest way to get me to play yeah. it. I think for all three of us, Casey has nailed exactly how to get us vaguely interested. And I have played it, and it is it is fine. It is perfectly fine. It's a first-person shooter, cell-shady graphics. Oh. I'm not a big first-person shooter fan. Neither am I, but I could be a gunny, bunny with a gun, so, you know. Well, that's... And, and <laughs> you know, take what I'm about to say with a, a grain of salt on that basis, because I like it fine. I like it fine. It is slow. It is not even a tremendously challenging first-person shooter. It's just sort of a light pace. Um, it has a pretty gradual difficulty scale from level to level that feels adequate, never really shocks you, until you get to the first boss, whose attacks seem to have s such area effect that it's very, very difficult for your dodge range to get out of target so that's a bit of a problem mm. a lot of the time i go into that fight thinking all right well i haven't gotten anything to improve my dash so i'm probably not going to win this which is a little bit frustrating yeah but on the whole it's a competently made first person shooter the ui is a lot because there's a lot of weapon stats i had someone com make comparisons to borderlands because of the visual aesthetic and 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 the picking up weapons from the environment because you'll get to start with a basic gun yeah and then as you go in you'll find weapons that are dropped by enemies that you can choose to upgrade you know or switch to and you have uh your basic gun and then two secondary weapons that you can carry at any given time and some of them are pretty neat actually there's a, a an electric gun because there's all this elemental effect in it there's 
a bunch of different buffs. Like, it's very much like Borderlands in terms of the sheer depth and quantity of stats that can be applied to individual weapons, uh, which have rarities and all of that. And I find it visually a lot of information displayed at once and a pain in the ass. But this gun... This gun's neat. It fires electric rounds, and it has an alternate fire that just sort of drops a bubble in front of you, and then when you fire through the bubble, it increases damage. That's neat. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, but it's 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 your normal range of, of first-person shootery weapons, you know, your scoped rifles, your SMGs, uh, a burst fire type assault rifle, that stuff. And it's all fine. You get grenades. They're, they call them smoke bombs, I think. And I, the ones I have do some sort of poison damage, I guess. Uh, they're pretty forthcoming with those. It encourages you to use them a lot. Uh, you have a, a special ability. I think it's character-based, but there might be other ones I get later. I don't know. This one just sort of binds an enemy for a second or so, letting you get away or... Um, deal some quick damage it's fine like there's nothing about it that makes me say you should go get this but it suits me really well because the stage design is very compact and linear and that's one of my biggest problems with first person shooters is that i wind up in an environment and then i get lost and i wind up backtracking and then Mm -hmm. i get frustrated and then i quit fucking playing it i really agree with you and this sounds like the kind of thing i like in single-player first-person shooter stuff where I can just go down the corridor and do the shooting. Right. Levels will have, like, little hidden things, bonus areas to explore for other rewards. That's cool. Uh, And it's playable in co-op for up to four players. I I mean, at some point, I will probably do that. Yeah. You know, I feel like I should play it with Casey once. It's been a while since I've had a co-op shooter that I have played and that I have enjoyed, and I'm always up for doing a dumb co-op shooter at some point. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it seems adequate. (laughs) Like, I don't know, it seems adequate. I'm having fun with it. I think it's like 15 bucks on sale right now because it just went into version one. That seems like an appropriate amount of money to pay for it. And it's fine in single player. And who knows, it might be really fun in in multiplayer. Um, That's not usually my thing. But hell, first person shooters aren't normally my thing either. And and I'm enjoying this and I'll keep playing it for at least a little while. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Gunfire Reborn. What what uh, what else? What else we play? Uh, I played one other game. What you played? Yeah, I streamed it the other day as well. Um, Warlock of Firetop Mountain. Oh! Based on the fighting fantasy books, which I really liked as a kid. If people don't know what fighting fantasy is, uh, there are a series of basically choose-your-own-adventure books, but with simple combat systems, like some little RPG elements. There's like a character sheet at the front where you get a pencil and write down your hit points and you roll two dice for combat. Like, really simple. I will very quickly say for this, I know about this game because it has some really nice options for um, text legibility. Yes, it's actually the first thing the game throws up is a a dyslexic option so that the stylized text can be changed to more plain text. Yeah, like I think it changes it to open dyslexic if I remember right, which like doesn't work for everyone with dyslexia, but at the very least is not a stylized font and that really helps. Yeah, it helps and it's considerate, which you like to see. Yeah, it's one of the first games I remember like making a deal of making that the first setting it brought up and I'm like, oh, that's nice. And it's good because, you know, the game is largely reading because it's based 
very heavily on the books. Yeah. Um, with some changes, there's like a little map laid out of Firetop Mountain, and the characters aren't animated. They're like they're made to look like miniatures from a from like a tabletop game. So they like bounce up and down as they go along these little paths. And you stop and there's forks in the roads. Do you want to take the east path or the north path? And then there's text, which I think the text is taken straight from the book, along with original artwork that's been coloured. And some of the artwork looks really cool. I really like the artwork from the Fighting Fantasy books. Um, But what what I really like is... it should still be on the eShop right now for $3. Mm. And for $3, a little choose-your-own-adventure book interactively like is cool. Yeah. Um, I think it's a little bit more on Steam. I think it's like $4.50 on Steam right now, but for certainly for $2.99, like... You know, it's there's nothing super remarkable. It's a choose-your-own-adventure book. It does have combat that's a little... Uh, Again, really simple. It's a tiny little grid map and you move your character around and the enemies move around and you put you input your commands, they input their commands and it's about guessing where the enemy's going to be yeah. rather than where they are because they'll move left, right, up, down. So you've got to be like, right, will it move to the left? I'll hit the empty square on the left. Uh, for anyone who plays board games, uh, the term for that is uh, programming games. Uh, you sort of input your actions and then you both sort of simultaneously go, okay, I think they're going to be there. I'll make these moves. Hopefully I'm in the right place. It's a neat little thing. Yeah. And if you and an enemy attack each other at the same time, there's just like, they'll roll two dice, you'll roll two dice. And um, that'll add to your skill level. And and then, you know, it'll work out who gets the hit. Um, And that's about it. Like, the big uh, drawback is uh, when you die, you die. You got to start again. And because it's the book, more or less, it's the same thing. And you can't do the thing of putting your thumb on the page. Actually. Oh, can you? Oh, my my correction. You don't earn, like, souls for killing enemies, which you use to unlock new characters, because there are little subtle stat differences with characters. You can't earn them. But they do have a cheat mode that's meant to simulate oh. how a kid would play it back in the day where they do have do-overs. I didn't know that was an option and that's great. I'm so glad that's a thing. Yeah, it's nice that they threw that in. So you can, if you want, just like blitz through it. But if you're trying to play it normally, you know, if you get however far you get, if you die, it does give you... Um, basically three lives you can respawn at where you last rested and you'll still have to replay a bit but um but once that's gone like you and those books at times were not fucking fair so it can be a bit annoying and it's it can be difficult to get through it um and i've kind of dropped off playing it now because i've gone through a couple times and not reached the end and in order to get to where i was even if i do a different character the differences are really subtle so i've just got to do the same thing it's like i i now know even with my shitty memory i now know how the first sort of Certainly the first quarter of that whole campaign goes now. Yeah. You, you know what that could do with, probably, is um, visual novels tend to have um, an option to skim through text and then stop at the next time there's a choice, which is good for like replaying through and making different choices and probably would be good for something like this. Just go, okay, take me to the next time that there is either some text I haven't seen yet or a choice to be made. Yeah. So yeah, I'm probably I'm probably done playing it now now that I've gone through it a couple times. 
But I, again, for two ninety nine, I I I got my money's worth easily. Everything smells in Firetop Mountain. That became a running joke when I streamed it. All of the like orcs and stuff are always described as stinky or smelly. You've been hit with the worst stench you've ever experienced. And apparently you'll be hit with the worst stenches you've ever experienced about five times. But everything else is smelly as well. It's all described as stinking and fetid and, and oh, it smells so bad. And um, they started, the viewers, the Twitch viewers started to do a drinking game every time something was described as badly smelling. And they, I'm surprised none of them have liver damage. <sighs> so, yeah, that was, you know, three bucks. If it's still that much, like... I I'd recommend it. That's that's pretty neat. I've played a little bit of Warlock of Firetop Mountain of the I think I played it on Steam a little bit. It seemed seemed pretty good. Couple a couple of quid, yeah. Yeah. Uh is that everything everyone has played? Uh I believe so. In that case, should we get on to some newsy bits? <sighs> Why not? Uh you know those uh, GTA remasters? Yes. You know how they don't look so great all of the time? They yeah. Look shit. So uh, San, uh, San Andreas in that remastered collection is going to be looking a little better soon. Oh. You know how they're making it look better? By making it look worse? They're adding fog so you can't see that it looks bad. We're going back in time, folks. Hell yeah, that's some old school. Yeah, sorry, they're adding ground haze. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Sorry, I was about to make fun, but I didn't realize they busted out the premium shit. Yeah. Well, it's a parody of the, you know, above ground haze that that area actually experiences. So it still works within the sort of general milieu of Grand Theft Auto. I'll say this. I've looked at side by side images of both. It does look it does look better when you can't see so much of the detail. <laughs> like that that is correct. Fan response seems to be, yeah, it's looking better now. Thanks for adding some just some low-level fog over everything. <laughs> a lot, just like a little. Thanks for slightly obscuring how bad this looks. Yeah, the game looks better <laughs> when we can't see how bad it looks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I just quickly come in with a we don't have to linger on this at all. Yeah. But Forbes put Ubisoft, and apparently I found out Activision, uh, on a list of best employers of 2021. What? Uh, what? What in the actual ever-living fuck? Uh-huh. I, I did not know this. That's amazing. World's best employers 2021. Did they give any, like, explanation? I want to hear their reasoning. None of them have any individual explanations but it does look like it's really fucking cynical stuff are they ranked by number can we do we know objectively how good of an employer we think they think they are uh activision is ninth ninth and ubisoft is um oh i think this is a different i think there are two different lists Okay. But it doesn't even look like like it looks like they've looked at it in the most inhuman way possible. Like how how many employees have they attracted and retained? Like all this shit. What are in theory the salary packages and blah yeah. blah blah? They say there's been a survey on at least on the one that Activision's on, but who did they ask? <laughs> Certainly not five hundred of the workers. But yeah, I thought I'd just point that out. Yeah. Should we should we should we get on them while we're at it? Might as well. So there's only one bit of uh, Activision Blizzard news this week. 
Activision Blizzard protest organizer is leaving the company, slams Bobby Kotick for inaction and refusal to take accountability. So the short version of this is um, someone called Jessica Gonzalez, who was a key figure in the recent A Better ABK uh, employee protests, announced that she's leaving the company. In the message in which she announced she was departing, she used that time to further criticise Activision Blizzard boss Bobby Kotick and his inaction and refusal to take accountability, which was driving out great talent, which sure sounds like I can't fucking work for Kotick, which is fair. Here's a quote. Products will suffer until you are removed from your position as CEO. Mm -hmm. This may seem harsh, but you had years to fix the culture and look at where the company currently stands. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, not only leaving the company, leaving the games industry and working on games, putting their well-being first. Got a very good opportunity in the financial tech sector, I think. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how much luck I want to wish them. Congratulations. I'll say this much. Well done for organising action, and I can't blame you for feeling like putting your... uh, Leaving that company is putting your well-being... First. Well wishes to anyone who gets out of that fucking pit. Yes. I'll say this. I do not blame anyone who stuck their head up as a visible figurehead of action against Bobby Kotick and that corporation, going, you know what? I've done my little bit. I'm going to get the fuck out now. 100%. I don't blame you. But yeah, hey, people who organise protest action against Activision Blizzard, unsurprisingly, don't think anything's fucking changed yet. I keep hearing it's the best possible time to quit your job. That's what I keep hearing. Other video game companies and what their hiring practices are like news. This is one that hasn't come up because, like, a company's been caught doing something bad. This is them putting their hands up and saying they've done something bad, but not really saying what they're going to do to fix it. So, less than 5% of managers at Nintendo's headquarters are women. Unsurprising. Yeah. This is not surprising. So, Nintendo updated its corporate governance document with this information, saying that they they, they want to have a commitment to increase the proportion of women in managerial positions, which sounds great. I will say, the document also includes such wonderful phrases as Nintendo hires purely on the basis of competence and skill, uh, and then goes on to talk about how they don't have specific targets for how many women they want to appoint to managerial positions, and they don't have any plans of how to get more women into managerial positions. So they have said, we, we want more women at Nintendo... But we're not gonna like actively hire them. We're do, we're we're gonna do the competence and skill only, blah 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 thing. And we're not gonna say how many women we're gonna get here. And we don't have a plan for how we're gonna get there. This is basically me with any job. It's I'll do it tomorrow. Definitely. Yeah. I will do the dishes, and then I don't. Yeah. As part of these efforts, we are recruiting women and creating an environment in which women can build successful careers. Except we're we're hiring people, we're still, we're not changing anything about how we're hiring. We're just, there'll be more women probably. I don't know if I missed it, did they say whether or not they'll be paying them the same? Uh, nothing explicitly said, either way. Hmm. Interesting. 
Yeah. So as part of this pledge, Nintendo revealed that 23.7% of managers globally within the company are women, 4.2% of them in Japan. Mm-hmm. So globally, not great. Globally, about a quarter of managers are women, but particularly their Japanese headquarters, that is where they have a, 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 a an infinitely worse problem with a lack of women in the in management. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a thing. Hopefully something comes of it. It'd be great if it there was like a, you know, plan of how to get there. Just wait till they find out NBiz exist. Oh, that's... Some executives' heads are going to explode. What the fuck? You can't rush this knowledge. You've got to ease them in. You've got to... Like the, the, the very mean thing they do when cooking lobsters. You've got to, you've got to turn the temperature up gently. Ease them into NBs. Mm-hmm. Frogs, actually. You really want to um, take a lobster and just drop that into boiling water. Yes, it will scream, but it's over real fast. I mean, you, you could just not. That sounds like a... Re- I- there are, you don't have to do it. No one has to do it. Like, the people find the cruelty of what they do to lobsters delicious. That's what they're eating. I do want to say, in a, in a Discord conversation, I know some, I know this person was referring to just general temperament of lobsters, but someone who cooks lobsters in a restaurant was like, oh yeah, no, I, I do that to lobsters. I feel no remorse because they're, they're vicious bastards or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I'd be a vicious bastard if you're going to boil me alive. Right? <laughs> I love. I won't eat lobsters anymore. It's the one thing I'm uh, conscientious about because I think they're too adorable and cool. So I won't eat lobsters. I'm a hypocrite about all other animals. I'll, I'll gobble them up all day long. But even if I still ate lobsters, right? Which, by the way, they don't taste that great. They're not that delicious. No, that there's a reason why it was garbage trash food for hundreds of years. It was food for poor people, and then rich people decided, oh, we'll have that because we can torture them, and that makes them extra tasty. It's like uh, caviar used to be an affordable food until rich people decide. Actually, fun fact, my favourite one of these. Did you know that's why English food is, like, terribly unseasoned and tastes like shit? Is because... Spices used to be a thing that only the rich people could afford, and therefore spices were fancy. And then when poor people could afford spices, the the rich people were suddenly like, oh no, no, if you had high enough quality meats in the first place, you wouldn't need spices. Spices are a sign that your your meat is uh, spoiled, you're just covering up for poor quality flavours. And that's why... Like, fucking bland, unseasoned food is a thing in the UK is because, like, oh, no, no, if you had a, if you had nice enough meat, you wouldn't need those terrible flavours. Well, once we eat the rich, we will have nice enough meat. The French were all like, yeah, we don't need that, but we'll take it. <laughs> we'll do some shit with that. I like bland English food, to be honest. Well, yeah, that's just how you was raised. Like, just, just a hunk of meat with, like, a hunk of meat in some pastry, I'm all right with that. I mean, look. A hunk of meat and some pastry, that's fine. Dry, dry bit of turkey, which is nothing. Well, just, no, big sl- yeah. just dry slab of turkey. No! I, but I do... Oh, shit. Technical difficulties. Okay, there was a brief little burp in the... Right, you know at the top of the podcast where we said I've been recording for 46 hours by accident? <laughs> what I should have done was closed down the, the recording software and then reopened it mm. so that I wouldn't risk losing everything when it inevitably crashed. I did not think to tell you to do that and I now feel silly for not, for not doing so. You shouldn't feel silly. I'm an adult.
I'm just gonna add it to the list under do you still have the bell on? Yes. <laughs> add it to the list under the <laughs> Oh god. Do we need like a, a pre-show prep list that we do when we go actually go through? Things that weird scatterbrain Steph needs to know. I'm mentally ill, listeners. I mean aren't we all? Aren't we all? I, I mean we are. Yeah, we are. <laughs> it's not entirely my fault. I don't question my surroundings. I genuinely don't. Conrad could be dead face down on my carpet when I wake up one morning and I'll just step over him. That's entirely, yeah, I could see. Not out of callousness. No, I could just see it happen. I just won't register it. Please don't die face down on my carpet, Conrad. No, it'd be a mess to clean. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, where am I going to get an acid bath from at this time of day? I've, I've operated under the assumption I would be disposing of you. <laughs> that you would need to do something with the corpse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, there might be questions. So there may be. I don't want to be implicated. Because there's enough evidence that I might have killed someone. People could look at the things I... People could just look at the eugenics book on my fucking site and be like... I mean, it wouldn't help your case. Right? Uh, <sighs> so... We got a couple of other stories. Yes, yes. Just a, just a couple of little ones. We got, we got, we got one that's about about industry being nice to each other or notness. Uh, Twitch has launched a new tool to safeguard chat from harassment, or at least that's the headline. That's not really what it's here for. It's very specifically a tool about um, trying to stop people from ban evading. So this has been a big problem on Twitch for a long time. You ban someone, they just get make a new account come right back into the same chat the tool is a machine learning ai tool oh what could go wrong i know i my fucking alarm bells go when i hear this that like it's not that they've discovered some very specific way to reliably identify ban evaders what they have done is go yeah a computer will work it out probably <sighs> just hire some human beings hire some people yeah so here's how it's going to work. It's going to get turned on as a default. You can turn it off or change the settings, but the default way it'll work is if Twitch is like very confident that someone is a ban evader, the default is that it won't show chat their message. Mods will see the message and go, do you want to ban this per this this account too? Or ones where they're like it might be a it might be a ban evader, it might not, we're not so sure. It'll still appear in chat, but mods will see a little flag next to it and go, this might be a ban evader, maybe keep an eye on them. So this is a tool that will be useful for those streamers who have a large enough base to justify already having a moderation team in place to take advantage of these tools. Oh, wait, something Twitch has done is going to uh, predominantly benefit people who are already big and successful on the platform. Right. Oh. That's what I'm seeing here. Innovative. Apparently you can change it so it'll just auto-ban people who, you know, reach a certain level if we think they're a ban evader. But that does rely on you trusting Twitch to accurately, correctly identify if someone's a ban evader or not. Yeah. yeah. And I, I like, in theory, that they're trying to fix this. I'm very much going to wait to see the execution and how reliable it is before I trust Twitch to do that. 
So yeah, to read their quote, when you ban someone from your channel, they should be banned from your community for good. Unfortunately, bad actors often choose to create new accounts, jump back into chat and continue their abusive behavior. And how is it that they're able to do that so easily, just out of curiosity? Well, I mean, you know, it might have something to do with the not needing proper verification for accounts and the uh, stuff. Because it feels it feels like something that it should be on Twitch to be able to enforce that ban. Oh, it does. It doesn't. It does. It does feel like that. And yet here we are. And yet here we are again, making it the responsibility of the person who has already said we don't want them there. Yeah. Cool. Suspicious user detection, powered by machine learning, is here to help you identify those users based on another number of account signals. Here's the thing, Twitch. We don't need help identifying them as someone who's been hassled by banavaders. Identifying that they're the banavader isn't the tricky thing. They come back in and say the exact same thing. The hard bit is stopping them from evading the fucking ban. Yeah, like, uh, no, yeah, I don't need you to highlight to me that they're a banavader. I'll we know, know it because, because they'll be back in chat going, doing the exact same slurs that I'll have to look at and spend time out of my stream to reban. <sighs> You've done nothing! Nothing! Look, put in a little flag that says, maybe that <laughs> person who's using the same slur as they were a few minutes ago is a ban of it. Oh, Twitch, thank you for letting me know. I didn't know. Didn't realise. Amazon, do you need to borrow some money to get this done? <laughs> like, I could chuck you a couple of bucks. Oh. Fucking hell. So, yeah... Um, we got, we got one last story. It's not a bad one, it's just an interesting, like... Yeah... Uh, I'm surprised this ha didn't happen sooner. You know how, you know, you want to play your, your PlayStation or your Xbox on your phone? You can stream the footage to your phone? Sure. And it, if you want to do so, you know, there are things that exist where you can sort of clip your phone awkwardly on top of your controller. You're aware of these? Sure. I've seen them. Yeah. Uh... There's a pattern. It seems like Sony's gonna make a th a thing like this. That's an official thing that you 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 slide your DualShock apart, put the phone in the middle, and let it sit in the middle. L probably less awkward. I'm honestly surprised that none of the console manufacturers have done this yet. Does Sony still make phones? Um, I don't believe they still do. I don't think they do. I think they're out of the phone game. I'm just. I guess I'm just wondering about the universality of this device design. Like, phones are fairly standard in terms of, but, yeah. I mean, uh, from the looks of this pattern, it seems like it's probably going to be a, like, there's going to be some sort of, uh, you pull the sides apart, put the phone in the middle, and as you let go, it'll, like, you know, come in, and, like, the force of it trying to come back together grips the phone in place. Seems like what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And as long as phones are not too big to fit in that gap... Should probably work fine, I would guess. But there's not they're, they're not expecting any sort of direct hardware connection, right? This is just going to be like a Bluetooth... No, it seems like it's just, yeah, just the same as, as right now, you can Bluetooth connect a PlayStation controller to your phone. I'm surprised this isn't a thing that one of the console manufacturers has already tried to do. Like, it feels like a thing that, like, there would be a market for. Well, it makes sense to me that it's Sony doing it. For Microsoft to do it, they're they're into mobile devices, but really only from a software perspective. They've played in the waters a bit, and it hasn't ever worked for them to do handheld shit. 
Yeah, I wondered if they were going to when xCloud and streaming was a big thing they were pushing for. Because you can stream Xbox games on a mobile phone with your... I think I think as part of Game Pass Ultimate, I think you get that. And I'm like, I, I, I thought that might have been the moment to go, hey... Do you want to play your Xbox games on a phone with that Xbox controller? Yeah, I think they got smart about dealing with phone hardware. Yeah. And it, yeah, so this makes sense to me because there's no reason on earth Nintendo would do it. Oh, God, no. Yeah, no. And Sony, there'd have been no reason for them to do this if they were still making dedicated handhelds. Right. But like, there's there's maybe a certain degree of we we want to have a mob, a portable thing people can play the games on without having to make a handheld. And like, yeah, I can see that for this. I can see the desire to not want to, you know, make spend a whole bunch of money developing another handheld that you're not going to fucking support. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think if you know going in that you're not going to support the hardware you're about to spend millions and millions of dollars developing, uh, you can have a much clearer idea of the outcome. Yeah, if, if all you need to do is go like, hey, this is a controller, we took the middle plastic out and your phone goes in it. We don't need to support it beyond this point. It's done. It now exists. If you have it, great. If you don't, whatever. So yeah, I think that is it for news this week. I think I think we're done. We did it. Yay! We did. We done did a show and stuff. We done the show and stuff. But Laura, me stuff. <gasps> Do. Stuff do. What? Stuff do what? What? Laura K. Buzz, all the places, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon, that's all the, the big ones. Uh, I do episodes of a show called Accessibility on YouTube every Friday. Go watch the most recent episode I put out, even if you don't think that accessibility is relevant to you. Um, I did an episode about accessibility and aging and about the fact that hey most of the things that like you would think about as disabilities if they happen to you today they're gonna happen to you as you get old probably if you want to keep playing video games you should probably give a shit about accessibility now even if only for your own future self-interest go watch it it's a good video i think go watch it also who hunts the whale go pre-order it it's a book i'm doing it's about video games and capitalism bad comrade what do you do uh, well first I comment on things that, that Laura does that's valuable with my own relevant input. Uh, I'm old and my reflexes suck now. Yeah. And that's just the first step. I point out in that video, like, y you can see it as l as early as, like, people in their 20s who have to drop out of, like, competitive gaming scenes. Oh, yeah. Because, like, as early as your mid-20s, your reaction times do go down a lot over time. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, the the obvious one, real quick. Um, your hearing and your sight are gonna go over time, and those those are very common accessibility things that you should you know push to make better because they're probably gonna impact you. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Good video. Anyway, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Conrad Zimmerman. You can find me on Twitch streaming, twitch.tv slash that Conrad Zimmerman. You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at pinfultruth.com. You can buy audiobooks from me at conradreads.com. And let me see, what else? Oh, other podcasts. You could hear me and Steph on Boston's Favorite Son with our good friend Jonathan. Mm -hmm. Or you could hear me talking about snacks on Let's Talk About Snacks with Lauren Morgan and Linda Camiolo. Uh, those are wherever you get podcasts at and everything i do online gets supported through patreon that's patreon.com slash fist shark 
And you know who else has a Patreon? <gasps> James Stephanie Sterling. Hi. WWE has been using its recent layoffs in storylines to get cheap reactions. What a bunch of pricks. Anyway, support me at patreon.com slash jimquisition. You can do that if you want, no pressure. Or you can watch me at Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling, which I'm on sometimes. Or if you're in or around the Pittsburgh area, what do you do there? December oh, yeah, 11th. on December 11th. It is the Rise 5th Anniversary Show, where I will be facing Rise owner Brandon Kay in an I Quit match for full control of the company. And on the January 15th in New Jersey, I will be part of Wrestlers Lab's next show, Chemical MV. And on January 22nd, uh, Enjoy Wrestling will have its next show, and I will be there as well. That is in Pittsburgh, too. Um, and that's it. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you all next week whether you want us to or not. Bye. Bye. Bye.